0: As we approach what the late Angela Carter called the Hinge of the Year at Halloween, we present the mirror image of the male bloodsucker in her archly titled Vampirella, with Catherine Brennan as the Countess and Aidan Grinnell as Dracula.
1: Can a bird sing only the song it knows Or can it learn a new song
0: said the lovely, lonely Lady Vampire, running the elegant scalpel of her fingernail along the bars of the cage in which her pet bird sang.
1: <laughs> My demented and atrocious ancestors habitually sequester themselves from the light of the sun in psalm. Indeed, lugubrious, heavily curtained apartments. Each one, man and woman, was a victim of the most terrible passion. Ah, scarcely dare to speak its name. Even the meanest fiend in hell shuns the company of my kind. I am compelled to the repetition of their crimes. That is my life. I exist only as a compulsion, a compulsion.
2: In Hungary, in the county of Temesvar, those who fall sick of the fatal lethargy that follows my embraces say that a white specter follows them, sticking as close to their heels as does a shadow. They track down the dreaded vampire by means of the following ritual. They choose a young boy who is a pure maiden, that is to say, who has not yet known any woman, and set him bareback. ...on a stallion that has not mounted its first mare. The power of these two virgins exists, you understand, only in containment. Like me, like she, they possess the mysterious solitude of ambiguous states. They are not linked into the great chain of generations. We are all unnatural. Horse and rider, trot towards the village cemetery. And go in and out among the gravestones, while the peasantry follows with spades and scythes and crucifixes and wreaths of garlic. Restlessly, they creep a little way behind the emissaries of virginity, until... See? He's
3: still He won't budge an inch. Here, here, in this grave, beneath this stone, the vampire lies.
2: The quarry lies, as ruddy in the cheeks, as if I had nodded off to sleep in my shroud. I might have been taking a little after dinner, nap, replete, pacific. The priest takes up a heavy sword, and so they strike off my head. And out gushes warm torrents of rich red blood, like melted roses.
3: Oh, the land is freed from the plague of vampires.
2: <laughs> Endlessly I attend my own obsequies, softly, enormously. Across all my funerals, my fatal shadow rises again.
1: But love, true love, could free me from this treadmill, this dreadful wheel of destiny.
2: My daughter, the last of the line, through whom I now project a modest, posthumous existence, believes herself to be a version of the flying Dutchman. That she may be made whole by human feeling. That one fine day, a young virgin will ride up to the castle door and restore her to humanity with a kiss from his pure, pale lips. (sighs) (laughs) Oh, my little girl. I'd love to see you lie quiet.
0: Night and silence. I never guessed here in the Carpathians would be no stars. No stars, no moon. I am just a little nervous although no one is here is it only a simple twanging of my own nerves that I feel <laughs> yet I'm not a timorous man my colonel assures me I have nerves of steel <laughs> I've never felt such terror in any other place the northwest frontier far more barren, far more inimical Damn deserts never scared me so when they told me this morning at the inn I should not stay out beyond the fall of darkness I did not believe them (laughs) but I was not in the least afraid then Ah. 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 nothing but a night bird (laughs) the cry of a night bird momentarily startled me nearly fell. They say the owl was a baker's daughter, not a bird of the best of homens. To ride a bicycle is in itself some protection against superstitious fears, since the bicycle is the product of pure reason applied to motion, geometry at the service of man. Give me two spheres and a straight line, and I will show you how far I can take them. Voltaire himself might have invented the bicycle since it contributes so much to man's well-being and nothing at all to his bane. Bicycling is beneficial to the health. The bicycle emits no harmful fumes and permits only the most decorous speeds. It is not a murderous implement. Yet, like all the products of enlightened reason, the bicycle has a faint air of eccentricity about it on two wheels in the land of vampires. A bicycle is a lonely instrument. To ride a bicycle involves a continuous effort of will and hence it is a moral exercise. Now we approach a rustic bridge. Something atavistic. Something numinous about crossing whirling dark water by no moonlight.
2: And when he crossed the bridge, the phantoms came to meet him.
0: Uh, I I say, it gently does it. Can can nobody speak English? Not one word? I, I, I say, where are you taking me? Well, dare say I'll find out where they're taking me soon enough. Could do with a rest. I could do with a cup of tea. Quite a nasty fall, really. Just a little shaken, I must confess. A good hot cup of tea, now. (laughs) My God, how English I am. It never ceases to astonish me. Why have they left my bicycle behind, though? Lying where it fell among the weeds at the side of the bridge, the dew rust rusted. Ah, a light before us. We must be going towards that light. A light, a homestead in this abandoned and desolate region. Yet that light does not console me. It does not make me think of home and hearth and fireside. It is a sinister and flickering light like marsh fire by God. A castle. And flambeau at the gates. Great whirling bouquets of gas darting hither and thither on the wind.
2: A vast ruined castle from whose tall black windows came no ray of light and whose broken battlements showed a jagged line like broken teeth and at my gate i light the visitor a welcome with fire flowers picked from hell
0: the gatekeeper a horn lantern in his horny fist lighting up constellations of cobwebs I'm alone dear god i never heard any portal close behind me with such an emphatic clang ah oh, i'm shivering these wet clothes good evening must be the concierge's private quarters. Quite clean, quite comfortable, a bit Spartan. Guns on the walls. No speak English, eh? Well, I dare say we'll get on well enough. My, what a fine fire. <laughs> oh, a change of clothes ready laid out for me. Why, just my size. Oh, a nice piece of worsted, that suit. And a fine silk shirt monogrammed upon the breast. A Cyrillic Delta, indeed. Ready laid out. Uh, As if they were expecting me. And a stout pair of shoes. That's better. Clean, dry clothes. And, judging by the gatekeeper's manoeuvres with that bottle, that glass... I should imagine I'm about to be treated to a little peasant hospitality. Thanks. Ooh. <coughs> oh. 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 Some kind of vodka. Very strong. Warming. I'd certainly not say no to another. Now what are you up to? Oh, getting me some black bread, is it? Black bread and cheese. Well, I could do with a bite, I must say. I suppose I'll be lodging here for the night, hmm? Only one bed. Perhaps I'll doss down on the floor with the dog. Hey, boy?
2: (coughs) Down, boy, down!
0: Backing away from me now? Oh, calm. The English have a traditional affinity for dogs. But not, perhaps, for such dogs as you, you great slavering fanged monster. Yes, wild dog indeed.
2: Red-eyed devil's whelp. Many a witless ancient died a ghastly death at the hands of the Inquisition for petting in her bosom such a familiar as you. If you are a good dog and don't bite the carpet or foul the floor, My daughter will throw you a juicy bone. A femur with some scraps of flesh still on it, perhaps.
0: Hmm. What have we here? What apparition in black velvet? A valet by his obsequiousness, the Chatelaine's valet? He's gesturing towards me. Why, he's dumb. Taking me off somewhere, are you? Off to meet the king of the castle? No need to clasp my wrist so tight. I'll come quietly.
2: <laughs>
4: Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. Oh,
1: it's only my porky Scots humor that preserves my sanity. I am the lady of the castle. My name. Is exile. My name is anguish. My name is longing. Far, far from the world, on the windy crests of the mountain, I am kept in absolute seclusion. My time passes in an endless reverie, a perpetual swooning. I am both the sleeping beauty and the enchanted castle. The princess drowses in the castle of her flesh.
4: Hush, hush, my dearie. Don't distress yourself. Cold.
1: So cold, Mrs. Bean. The wind creeps in through the cracks in the old stone, and the fire never warms me.
4: Now you just stop feeling sorry for yourself and eat up your
1: egg. Look. Look.
4: I've cut up your bread and butter into soldiers for you. Shall I eat up the nice soldiers? Like a
1: good girl now. Oh, your hands are like ice. Since a child, so cold, always cold, I should like to go to a land of perpetual summer and let the petals of a flowering tree fall upon my face as I lie in the warm shade and sleep without the fever of this eternal shivering. But could even Italian summers warm me when not all the fires of hell might do so? Countess, now just you stop your whining. Shunned by fiends.
2: Thus my beautiful daughter sense her father's posthumous presence? Or is she indeed... A portion of myself.
0: In the dark, luxurious room, I made out two figures beside the little fire. A craggy dame with pepper and salt hair dragged back in an austere bun, upright as a standing stone, and a young lady, seated. Good evening.
4: Good evening to you. May I
1: present to you the Countess. Welcome! Welcome to my castle. It is so lovely to see a new face. I rarely receive visitors, and nothing, nothing, I assure you, animates me half so much as the presence of a stranger. The castle is so lonely. Only the village people come here to bring milk and eggs and a little fresh meat. Sometimes they bring me a benighted traveler, if they should have happened to have stumbled across one. My castle is famed for its hospitality.
2: <laughs>
1: you must forgive the shadows. My eyes, an affliction of the eyes. I can only see clearly in chiaroscuro, a condition my family shares with the cats.
0: At first, in the heavily shaded lamplight, I could hardly make out her features, only her vague shape as it moved, a little backwards, a little forwards, in a bentwood rocking chair, inexorably as the pendulum of a giant clock. She wears a white muslin dress. She looks like a trapped cloud. But as I grew accustomed to the lack of illumination, I distinguished the shocking harmonies of her face. The young countess was so beautiful, she might just as well have been hunchbacked. Her beauty was so excessive, it seemed like a kind of deformity. And I thought, her appearance necessitates her seclusion, for even, or perhaps especially, in her nakedness, a condition which appalled me even momentarily to contemplate, oh God, no, not even in her awe-inspiring nakedness. No, even were she to wear only the simplest, most unpretentious, most unbecoming of garments, she would, at any gathering, arrive embarrassingly overdressed. Her beauty was like a dress too good to be worn, but, poor girl, it was the only one she had.
2: Her beauty... ...is a symptom of her disorder.
0: There was about her not one of those touching little imperfections... ...that reconcile us to the imperfection of the human condition.
2: She is a masterpiece of appearance. She is far too fine an imitation of a woman.
0: Her visible inhumanity did not inspire confidence too many shadows in the room might conspire to hide, she lacks a shadow. Her hair falls down inconsolably as rain.
2: She would like very much to be human. But, of course, that is quite impossible.
0: She is so beautiful. She is pitiful. Her stern, tartan governess has a mouth like a steel trap.
4: My name is Mrs Bean. Widowed early in life in the most distressing circumstances, I answered an advertisement in the Edinburgh Gazette for a governess to a young lady of aristocratic birth in a far corner of the Carpathians. My interview took place one winter's evening in the drawing room of a luxurious suite at a sumptuous but discreet hotel, how pale his face was. Livid, I should say. Yet a perfect gentleman. He offered me a chair. He treated me with extraordinary politeness. And after a few preliminary inquiries, he asked me, Did I know the Carpathians well? I answered with circumspection. I understand the air is clement and the mountains generally unfrequented.
2: Dark, dark. Scarcely tenant and forests. A peasantry rooted, rotted, deep in the most degrading superstition. Vile practices, as old as the human race.
4: Had I, he asks, personal reasons for choosing to exile myself so far away from Scotland, I thought then, oh, he must read the newspapers. Maybe he knows more about me than I well can. Well, sir, I must reluctantly confess that I do have personal reasons of the most pressing nature for wishing to leave Scotland at the first opportunity and a destination, you might say, a new object.
2: My daughter, your charge will not grow up to be as other women. No, not one of my house has laid quiet... Since Vlad the Impaler first feasted on corpses.
4: There's a little taint to every clan, sir. Nobody's perfect. You see, my husband... Was
2: recently executed. His crime... i never a
4: notion as to the nature of his tastes, married so young as I was. He was so cool to me. Then that dreadful night when he came back from the graveyard with his fingernails full of earth and a bloated look about him... ''Blood well out,'' he said, and laughed like a hyena, aptly enough.
2: ''Necrophagy.''
4: ''Blood well out, the black blood of sawney bean ''who strewed the beaches outside Edinburgh with dead men's bones.
5: ''Times was hard, sheep dying in the field for drought, ''the landlords grasping, bleeding a sweat with taxes.'' so I says to my genie the outlaws life for us and she says I saw thee let's eat them up the way they've eaten us Oh so genie and I she being great with child took ourselves off to the seashore and there we found a cave as high and wide and handsome as the mansion of the Chief Justice. And there we lived in comfort. And every passerby in the high road, first we killed him, then we robbed him, and then we ate him up. And we grew fat and prospered. We dressed in silks and satins we pulled off the bodies. Skin them alive, Garajidi. The meat had the flavour of excellent pork, and you never saw such cracking. We made our chairs and tables from thigh bones and femurs. We played ducks and drakes with the skulls of the powerful. Our Bernese played five stones with vertebrae and learned to count till ten upon phalanges. Och, those were fine days. I was a great anthropophagic patriarch, you was.
4: And so I came to take service with the Count, since I was not unfamiliar with the nature of the family's passions. Oh. You'd never believe what a pretty wee thing she was, so trusting. How she would cling to me and beg to go out into the garden. Just this once, Mrs. Bean, just this once before sunset. Wait till the dark, my pet, and then we'll venture out together, just a wee wee. way. Her condition seemed to me judgment passed on her long ago, before she was born.
1: My poor pretty dear, my poor pretty. I am condemned to solitude and dark. I do not mean to hurt you. I do not want to cause you pain. But I am both beauty and the beast, locked up in the fleshy castle of exile and anguish. I cannot help but seek to assuage in you, my melancholy.
0: Her chair moves backwards and forwards, but for herself she hardly moves at all.
1: Such a fine throat, Mrs. Bean. Like a cone of marble. Hush, hush, child, calm yourself. My ancestors suffered very much from the direct rays of the sun, and all lived all their lives in these solemn apartments, shaded from the daylight. So many centuries since one of my family saw the sunshine. I've never seen the sunshine, though when I was little I wanted to. Now I cannot even imagine what sunshine might be like. When I try to do so, I see only a kind of irradiated dark.
0: On her knee, a fluffy kitten, and on the little table beside her, a jeweled cage.
2: I ordered my daughter a jeweled birdcage from Fabergé in Petersburg for a present on her 15th birthday. But when she saw it, she made those signs with her mouth that show how she would like to cry. If only she knew the way.
0: In the cage a pretty bird.
1: It is a skylark. Its element is mourning. But since I've kept it so long in my room, I think it must have grown blind, because we keep the curtains drawn all day. You must not give way to
4: self-pity. You are the way you are, a necessary creature of nature, and that's an end to it.
2: A shinyan priest of the Orthodox faith staked me, at a certain Slavonic crossroads in the year nineteen hundred and five. So ends all the line of Flood the Impaler. <laughs>
1: My destination chose me before I was born. I exist only as a compulsion to repeat it. Have you come far today, young man?
0: Uh, From the village in the valley. I I fear I can't pronounce it. (laughs) Tea.
1: You are just in time for tea.
0: A fine silver service, a kettle on a spirit lamp, and cups of such fine china... Her fingernails tap out carillons as she performs the tea ceremony. Tea? Yes, uh, milk and sugar, two lumps. Thank you.
1: Will you take a little shortbread? Mrs. Bean, my governess, makes it for me herself.
0: Shortbread? Delicious. Mmm, how delicious.
4: We Scotswomen can boast a light hand with pastry.
0: After the Gothic terrors of the early evening, Now I find myself taking late tea in a cunning imitation of an Edinburgh drawing-room at five o'clock on a November evening. How snug. Greenish flames flickering on sweet-smelling apple logs. How, as the Germans say, gemütlich. Yet, when she bites her shortbread biscuit, I see how curiously pointed her teeth are like the teeth of those Melanesians or Micronesians or Polynesian Islanders who file their canines to a fine point. Her teeth are too white, too delicate for human teeth. What little light there is in the room shines through her too white, too delicate fingers. What long, what pointed nails.
1: Ah! Oh, puss! What an unexpected honor for you. Puss scarcely ever takes to strangers.
0: (laughs) Pretty pussy, pretty pussy.
1: I have an affinity for the cat, for all night creatures. Owls, beasts that hunt by night.
0: I thought perhaps she was only 15 or 16, but her eyes, the pupils of which were huge as those of all night creatures contained too much disquiet for so few years i recognised the high strung inbred oversensitivity the weakened blood of an ancient aristocratic house ah boss i see you like having your ears tickled
1: among my terrible forebears i number the countess elizabeth bathoroy they called her the sanguinary countess She used to bathe in the blood of young girls to refresh her beauty. She believed these lustrations would keep old age at bay. Look, there is her portrait on the wall. Don't you see how little it is? All gilded. She looks rather like an icon, but an icon of unholiness. It shows her looking in a mirror, do you see? But of course, she couldn't see her own reflection. She is peering and peering in the mirror for her face. But she will never find it. Never.
6: Ah!
0: Naughty pussy, naughty. Ah! Ah!
3: Naughty,
1: naughty child!
0: Like a great white bird, the girl swooped upon me. She, the Countess, you white night bird, you white butcher bird, spreading your wings, your muslin sails. She swept across the room to fall at my feet, pressing that delicate, wet mouth to the juicy wound with, ah, such helpless greed. I felt the needles of her cannibal's teeth, I felt the suction of her tongue. She drinks as deeply as she can. Her face is contorted with avidity. Only now, clenched like a leech to my wrist, does she seem truly alive, truly present. She has come back from wherever it is she goes to, and briefly possesses herself. She drinks as deeply as she may, then, fainting, slips onto the carpet. (sighs) Lapsed into such torpor, the Scotswoman can lift her in her arms as lightly as if the Countess were made all of rags.
4: There, there, my dear. There, my precious.
0: And I, dizzy, sick, can do nothing but clasp my scratched hand protectively with the whole one and gaze at the governess with wide eyes of wonder.
4: Now she will sleep a little. She'll return to her almost habitual trance. The valet will show you to your room.
0: My bicycle. Oh,
4: you'll no be that. I fear you'll never leave the castle, young man. Now you must rest in your room. I shall not wish you sweet dreams when she feels the need. she'll come to you.
0: The mute in mute's apparel winds me on the little spool of light he carries in his hand through corridors as circuitous as the passages inside the ear.
6: There is no
2: end to the ceaseless cortege of my hospitality.
0: Securely locked in, eh? Pleasant room, good feather bed, a fine candelabra to light my hours of waiting, and a handsome portrait of Gilles de Rey over the fireplace, if you please. The whole damn clan related to every vampire that ever lived. Well, well, here's a to-do. Huh? I shall have to call on all my sang-froid to deal with the situation. A species of trance, of course. An interesting medical condition. I wonder what the Sawbones back in London would make of it. And a touch of nervous hysteria, too. The young girl's disease. I wonder if the family finances could run to a trip to Vienna, to those Jew-boy Johnnies who stretch you out on a couch and let you tell them how you always wanted to murder your father. (laughs) Seen queerer things on the Northwest Frontier, that's the truth. All the same, a pretty pickle. Yet, what a lovely creature. Poor, reclusive girl with her weak eyes and so beautiful. And, round about midnight, pale as water, stooping a little beneath her burden of old guilts, the beautiful somnambulist will turn the key in the door and come into my room on suave, silent feet. She will lay me down upon that narrow bed and feast upon me. Ah...
1: Mrs. Bean? Just you lie quiet a while. Oh, Mrs. Bean. His kisses. His embrace. His head will fall back. His eyes roll. Stark and dead. Poor bicyclist. He has paid the price of a night with the Countess. And some think it too high a fee, while some do not. Oh, I will say this. We'll have to get
4: the kitten put down. My, oh my pussy, you really gave the game away, didn't you? No. Too soon. Too soon. She can't resist it. Can't resist it for one moment.
2: The sight of blood produces a singular effect on the metabolism of we unfortunates. We seize upon the wound and worry it with our pointed teeth until the liquid life falls down our rabid gallets in torrents, floods. Drained, empty as a crushed grape, the victim drops to the floor. The wineskin of his body has been emptied, and we are fat and drunk upon his life.
3: The sanguinary countess laved her white, exquisite body in the blood she tapped from the gross veins of peasant girls, who had too much blood for their own requirements. So she kept her wrinkles at bay. She knew how much the preservation of her fabled beauty was worth. Her servants never betrayed her, in spite of torture. The young girls who became me when they washed me with my awful sponges were as much my victims as those whom I immolated. Yet only in their admiring faces could I see the wonderful results of my magic baths, for my piercing eye had broken every mirror in the castle When I looked at them, I saw how wonderful I was and how terrifying. If they had ceased to be afraid of me, I would have ceased immediately to be beautiful. I was a great lady, and my portrait shows me crusted almost entirely in gold.
5: Oh, Nothing equals a fricassee of justice of the peace served up with a fine kelp salad.
1: Sometimes death comes in an erotic disguise. She is your bride. She will sheathe you in lilies. I am the darkness and the solitude
6: ...from which you come, to which you will go. Each to his fancy. Myself, I like corpses. Yes, your honor, yes, an honest corpse, with a clean earth still fresh upon her. What, you shudder? Your gorge rises? Hypocrite! When your wife lies beneath your repulsive and importunate body and twists involuntarily away her head so you may not suck upon the open wound of her mouth, immolated alive as she is beneath your judicial weight, my lord, do you not commit a beastly necrophilie? A necrophilie just as gross as that which I performed upon the dead lilies of the body of Fernand Mary?
5: Professionally known as Cam a ballet dancer. On the night of March the 25th, 1886, Henri Blow, aged 26 years, scaled a little door leading to the graveyard of saint On. between the hours of 11 and midnight. He went to one of the trenches where persons not entitled to individual graves were buried, and lifted up the boards which held up the earth on the last coffin in the row. Uh, the coffin contained the body of a young woman of 18 years. Fernand Marie, professionally known as Carmagno, a ballet dancer, buried the preceding evening. He removed the coffin from its resting place, opened it, drew out the corpse, and carried it to an open space. He removed the paper wrappings from a number of grave bouquets, spread them upon the ground, and rested his knees upon them so as not to soil his trousers. See, what
6: propriety, what concern for appearances? Can't you tell by this little gesture towards seemliness what a good bourgeois I am?
5: In this position, he obtained carnal intercourse with the corpse
6: corpses don't nag and never want new dresses they never waste all day at the hairdressers nor talk for hours to their girlfriends on the telephone husbands let me recommend the last word in conjugal bliss a corpse
5: the psychiatrist reports your honor
6: no evidence of insanity don't they all agree I'm perfectly normal We're all in the same boat together. You, you bourgeois husband, striking the pointed stake between your loins into the moist, vital parts of the being who is dependent on your being. You, you are the necrophile in your clean, white, grave clothes. The
2: shadow of the Fatal Count falls across every marriage bed.
4: She stares.
1: How handsome he is! How the little pulse in his white throat throbs!
4: Rising from her catafalque, the Countess wraps her negligee about her. One by one, I shall
0: blow out the candles for her. The little flames flicker, and one by one, go out. Only the last little candle left alight now, bending, dimming, yet still not extinguished. I do think Milady comes.
2: A waft of cold air, like a blast from a freshly opened grave, comes into the room with her. She brings this cold wind in her hair. Her garments.
4: She smells the blood of an Englishman. You can, her wee nose goes twitch, twitch, twitch.
2: Even the vilest fiends in hell shun the company of the vampire.
1: Who is dead, yet not dead? Whose bane is an insatiable thirst for life, and yet an inability to live?
0: Grinning, she lunged towards me. Ah.
2: Clothes and teeth sharpened on several centuries of corpses. Seek him, girl, seek him.
0: I swiftly sidestepped her embrace and caught her by the slender wrist. How we struggled. Her strength was more than human. But at last I flung her upon my narrow bed and slapped her face. Once, on each cheek, the remedy for hysteria although it went against the grain
2: to strike a woman. What? Strike her? Raise your hand to my daughter, to the areas of the regions of alternate darkness, to my... The shock
0: did indeed break her trance. Her shoulders quaked. Slowly, slowly she raised her head and turned those eyes the shape of tears laid on their sides towards me.
1: I am not a demon. For a demon is incorporeal, nor a phantom, for phantoms are intangible. I have a shape. It is my own shape. But I am not alive, and so I cannot die. I need your life to sustain this physical show myself. Please, give it to me.
0: Her rich lips part. She smiles, she raises herself, she beckons. I felt myself seized by the most powerful erotic attraction. Only the exercise of iron self-control prevented me from throwing myself at her little feet. Yet I, who love the bicycle and the light of common day, cannot in the final analysis bring myself to partake in this grisly charade my reason forbids it
1: my life depends on yours i am a woman young and beautiful come to me
0: and so she folds herself upon the bed with the lace falling about her softly and stretches out her white arms to me her long hands with those fingernails like mandolin picks I blessed the cold showers of my celibacy. Countess, keep your talons to yourself. What? What? When I held her wrists together to keep her murderous hands away from me, she made her weeping face and writhed a little, for she was thwarted, poor, spoilt child. When I first saw you tonight... I thought you were an infinitely pitiable creature, because of your beauty and your loneliness.
2: Curious, now she seems to wake. Her eyes clear, they settle upon him. How pure and pale his lips are. Lips that have never... Oh, never. Oh, can it be? Look,
0: she is trying to cry again.
1: My kids' relations with my kind exiles me from daylight. I am a creature of the night only. I belong to the night.
0: One thin, wandering hand muzzles the ribbons of her negligee. She slips succinctly from the garment and relapses upon the coverlet in the most alluring abandon. In my head, I hear all the string orchestras of seduction playing at once together. So she voluptuously invites me to step into Juliet's tomb. We should take you away to Vienna, where doctors could examine you. You you would stretch out on the therapeutic couch and the stern, quiet bearded physician would tease from you during the slow intervals of healing time the confused origins of your sickness
1: why aren't you afraid of me why don't you shrink from my murderous fingers Uh,
0: what can your governess be thinking of never to have cut your nails with an infinitely touching gesture she tucked her hands away behind her back as though she were ashamed of them and smiled at me, tremulously.
2: My daughter, oh, my daughter, am I losing
0: you? With no thought of passion, heaven forbid, only of consolation, I took her in my arms. Ah! Oh,
1: how warm you are.
2: Difficult to breathe. My little girl, don't you remember me? Don't you remember sucking the delicious bones of the baby rabbits?
1: I never in all my life felt warm till now.
0: She leans her head upon my shoulder with the most moving simplicity and I gently stroke her disordered hair. Do you think you could sleep,
6: my dear?
2: Talking. (laughs) airless.
6: She's
0: rich enough to pay for treatment in all conscience. Oh, the poor girl. A ghastly affliction.
1: I feel almost a healthy sleepiness come upon me. Will you? Would you? Could you give a good night kiss?
2: <sighs>
0: I was infinitely moved. Softly, with my lips, I touched her forehead as if I had been kissing a child good night. His
2: pure, pale lips on your brow. Ah! <sighs> Fall upon me all at once, the consecrated sword, the pointed
5: stick! Ah!
3: I
1: always knew that love, true love, would kill me.
0: She felt quite limp in my arms, as if after the crisis of a fever. Soon it will be morning. The crowing of the mundane cock and first light will dissolve this gothic dream with the solvent of the natural. Yes, perhaps I shall take her to Vienna, and we shall clip off her fingernails and take her to a good dentist to deal with her fangs. There are some things that, even if they are true, we must not believe them. Perhaps... Perhaps, one day, when she's cured, Mother, I want you to meet. (laughs) When I awoke, refreshed, I found I was clasping in my arms only a white lace negligee a little soiled with blood, as it might be from a woman's menses away, birdie, fly away. Why, Mrs Bean, you've opened up the curtains. My goodness, what a view.
4: Let a breath of fresh air into this mausoleum. A glorious morning. I sent a man to look after your bicycle. you will be wanting to get on with your tour after you've had your breakfast.
0: In the last repose of death, she looked a little older, but not much. A good deal uglier, since she had lost all her teeth and because of her loss of allure, for the first time, fully human. So I sped through the purged and rational splendors of the morning, but when I arrived at Bucharest, I learned of the assassination at Sarajevo and returned to England immediately to rejoin my regiment.
2: The shadow of the fatal count Rises over every bloody battlefield. Everywhere I am struck down. Everywhere I celebrate my perennial resurrection.
0: That was Angela Carter's Vampirella, with Catherine Brennan as the Countess and Aidan Grinnell as Dracula. David Heap played the hero, Barbara McCoy, Mrs Bean, Peter Dix, Sawney Bean, and the two necrophiles were Kate Minogue and Michael James Ford. Aidan Matthews produced the
2: piece in
0: 1992. rta.ia forward slash drama on one.